0: Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk This talk was recorded approximately 2015. Unfortunately, due to some technical issues, the audio quality is not as good as usual. However, the teaching was so good, we didn't want you to miss it. Yeah, so we're nearly done. Uh, I'm just going to share a few little thoughts and then Sam's going to round us off in a moment. Um, I do want to say, and I think Sam will probably do some thank yous at the end to his team who've pulled this off so wonderfully. But I do want to thank Danielle for coming halfway around the world to be with us. Sure there's a a lot bigger gigs she could have done, but uh, she wanted to be here and we really, really appreciate that. It's been amazing. And Ash and Hans are just legends, aren't they? are they precious? And I, uh, I, love, uh, so I, love, um, I love what God's doing, just weaving our lives together. And when I was stuck in Bangkok unexpectedly uh, in a hospital for a couple of weeks, it, there was a, it was tough, but I really felt God was knitting our hearts together. And uh, now the way we're journeying together, it's just beautiful. Isn't the Lord amazing the way he works through even the hardest things for our good and his glory? He's ace. So, good. And, there uh, one more person. Well, let's thank our band who served us so wonderfully as well. And, um... Jamie Hill, who's led us so beautifully on his birthday. And, uh, there is a way. There is a way to Jamie Hill's heart and it's through malt whiskey. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, Jamie has a truly shameful collection of malt whiskeys for a worship leader. And, uh... And we, we, me and Sam, have tasted most of them, so we thought it was about time we uh, stocked him up a bit. So, good one. All right, happy birthday, mate! Great job. Let me read some familiar verses um, from Matthew chapter nine. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus then called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. Matthew chapter 9 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Ain't that where so many of the young people, particularly but generally people in our nation and and in the nations of this world, isn't that where they're at? They're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They haven't got a clue. And, And my guess is you've come to this conference because you've seen the crowds. You've seen the crowds. God's done something in your heart. But I'm really believing as we come to the end of this time together, God's asking us to go a step further than that. And to ask the Lord of the harvest to do something about it. Lord of the harvest, look at the crowds. Will you send out workers? Actually, literally what it means, will you thrust out workers, God, please? Because that's the way God always deals with this issue. Harassed, helpless, lost, broken people. You know what he does? And what he's done throughout history is thrust out workers. And he tends to do it in far greater measure when his people start praying. And we start asking the Lord, Lord, will you just give us some workers? Look at the state of our nation. Look at all the suicide and self-harm. Look at all the brokenness. Look at all the pain. Look at 52% of young people who, according to the latest research, don't even think Jesus existed. It's on our watch. I mean, you think think the gospel's a fairy story. And that's happened, and we're like, Lord of the harvest! Will you do something about it? Will you thrust out some workers? The only problem is when we pray like that, the Lord fully expects us to be an answer to our own prayer. Because the next thing Jesus does is gather the twelve. And what does it say? Gives them authority and then sends them out. It's an absolute touchstone point in the gospel story. Suddenly it's not all about Jesus. It's about these twelve unschooled, ordinary boneheads who get filled with Jesus. And he passes his authority on. He gives them authority. I love uh, the Great Commission, and I've been laughing about it recently. Reading the Great Commission, not laughing because uh, it wasn't, you know, it's funny, but there is a funny side to it, isn't it? That, that Jesus would gather the twelve, no, the eleven actually. Judas has hung himself. Great bit of discipleship there, Jesus. It's kind of encouraging, isn't it? That, you know, Jesus said, one guy committed suicide. Don't you think so? And... Uh, a bunch of people who doubted him and denied him and ran off you know that's the greatest disciple in history bit of a roller coaster wasn't it and even here in in Matthew chapter 28 six weeks after he rose from the dead he's preached to more you know more people than this risen Lord Jesus he's made them breakfast on the beach spent six weeks convincing them that he really has conquered sin and death once and for all the risen Lord and he says this in Matthew 28 Jesus gathered the eleven on a mountain where he told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Oh my goodness. Three and a half years you've been with this man. You've seen him raise the dead. You've heard the most glorious teaching the world's ever seen. You've seen the matchless, perfect son of God, his beautiful, amazing life modelled. You've seen Him die that hideous death on the cross. You've seen Him rise from the dead and conquer sin and death once and for all. And you're still doubting, some of you! What is the matter with you people? And you, I love it, don't you? Jesus takes these bunch of doubters and He says, okay, alright, one more time. You heard it back then when I sent you out for the first time. One more time, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to our Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe he spoke and the universe was formed? This world will be wound up when he says so. He's boss. He has all authority. I only took the last breath because Jesus said so. That's how much authority he's got. Not over my life, but over every person he ever made. All authority's been given to me. Bosh. Therefore, you go. You go. He delegates his authority to us, Go and make disciples, Go into all nations, go. The only thing we can't do as a Christian is stay. We've got to go. We're a going people. We started by going. We've got continued by going. The Lord says, go, go into all the world and make disciples. Maybe that's you. In a fresh way this weekend, it's time to go. Go, go to some estate, go to the lost, go to the broken, go to the poor. You never know, God may show himself strong on your behalf. But not just on your behalf, on the behalf of others. My brother, uh, who started the message with me, way back out of a little business we had in inner city Manchester. And we saw the messy lives of some of the young people we employed. And uh, they were the inspiration for the first message gigs. But, uh, and he continued with the business for 20 years. And then about five years ago, he, he set up his own charity. He went out to India. He was... Funding these hospices and orphanages and schools through the business. And then he just thought, I want to do this full time. And he went to Calcutta. He told me he went to Calcutta. And he was in uh, Calcutta and there was a lady dying on the street. Old lady, you know, dying of cancer. and, and, uh, And this policeman just stepped over a groaning old lady. just Like she wasn't there. And Simon was so grieved by this. And he couldn't get this image out of his mind that this, this lady would be in the streets of Calcutta and nobody would care for her. So he came back and he said to me, I, I've got to do something about this. And he went to church and the, the sermon, it was Easter time and the sermon was about um, the thief on the cross. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he thought, you know, that, that lady's been living in hell, this hellish, horrible life and nobody cares for her. But just imagine... If she could be in paradise for all eternity. Imagine if she'd go from hell to heaven. So, so he, he, he talked to a doctor in moving out to Calcutta. And, and he, he rented a space and got 11 beds. And, uh, and now these people are being picked up off the streets. And, uh, and, and they're dying with dignity. And this doctor is training the ladies from the slum communities around there to be these 24-hour auxiliary nurses who just care for people. You think, well, it's only 11. Oh, this massive sea of need... But don't you think it's God's heart? And, and maybe, maybe the finance won't flow towards that ministry. And maybe, maybe he'll have to cut back. I don't know. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll all collapse. But before it does, he's going to rescue some people. Isn't he? Before some people who are heading for just a and lost eternity have got life in Christ and are with him in paradise. I mean, what is at stake here? Because we see the crowds and we're, we're moved with compassion. God, get your people to go. The only thing we'll regret on the final day is just staying in our own little worlds rather than going, being thrust out by the power of the Spirit. We need to pray, but we need to do more than pray. We need to go in His authority. A um, little while it, well, a couple of weeks ago, this magazine came out. I know you've seen it. I was particularly chuffed because Share Magazine is the magazine of uh, stewardship. So they basically, they're like a vehicle for people to give finances uh, tax efficiently so they they and they've got like 20,000 people someone's on their and it's all people who like to give and this share magazine's all about manchester and it says manchester is city transformed i like that I'm excited about that thought because that's the object of the exercise is to see transformation come in jesus name but um and i also love what this journalist who came down to see us wrote about the message because this is what he said about us and uh, you're in this as well, by the way. If you're any, any way part of this, this community. He says, the message. There it is. Message. An ill-equipped team. An oversized vision. Too little experience. And barely any expertise to speak of. <laughs> Hallelujah. But passion. Lots of passion. It didn't take long for them to discover that these first steps were precisely the kind that seemed to lie at the start of some of the very best God-shaped adventures. And we need, to, as this work grows, you know, who would have thought even this, you know, from just just seeing the crowds in Bench Hill, Britain's most deprived community, a bunch of kids just running riot and moving some people in. who would have thought, you know, 18 years later, 35 teens and all this growth around the world, all these opportunities... But we need to never forget we're we're an ill-equipped team. And it's an oversized vision. We ain't got the experience. We ain't got the expertise. As if we can bring transformation. But he can because he delegates his authority to jokers like us. And we get an oversized vision that's based on faith. and, And he equips us to do the things we could never do on our own. And we look back and we think, how on earth did that happen? And it's the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing. The other thing I liked about this magazine was the, um, the chief executive came to see us, as well as his journalist, because we were writing the whole, the whole magazine about Manchester. And uh, he said this, I'd just spent the afternoon in Manchester, and my mind was still buzzing after meeting with Andy Hawthorne at his Manchester office. Honestly, well Andy was truly inspiring. I found myself deep in thought, about everyone else I'd met the baristas, the bike mechanics, the beauticians the wedding planners, the t-shirt designers the entrepreneurs, the evangelists the musicians, it was easy to see this was a unique and special place it was more than a collection of staff ex-offenders or those not in education, employment or training, it was more than a program, it was a community oh God, just give us a community God, a bunch of mates having a go together we love Jesus Please don't even think about taking Jesus away from the front and centre of this thing. It's all about him. we are not going to take a penny off anybody if you want Jesus anywhere but front and centre. It's all about Jesus. But a bunch of communities who, who love the poor and the broken and the marginalised because he does. And we've got his heart. And we've come to him and as a result we suddenly found ourselves, you know, we're not the people we should be, but flipping heck, we are no way as self-centered as we used to be. Suddenly we love the poor and it's him doing it. He's passing on his authority and passing on his heartbeat towards the least. And there's this community who love Jesus and starts to have adventures on behalf of the poor. Stuff starts to change. Transformation starts to come and it's little bits and bobs. and It's not what we truly long for but we believe in that the trickle is going to become a river and then a mighty flood in this season of open doors. We're certainly going to have a right good go. Together, as a bunch of friends a community doing it together and who knows you know the, it's easy to hype it up in a magazine but, but it may not just be Manchester that's the city transformed maybe it could be Cape Town and Glasgow and Birmingham and, and London and Cardiff and it's not a ministry it's not a ministry, uh, not a ministry in the north east we'll even let Merseyside get involved you know may, may, maybe these Hope these communities could be transformed and it could be Jesus who gets the glory, not some some ministry because everybody knows this ministry's ill equipped and the vision's oversized and and we haven't got the expertise, but we've got Jesus. And he's big enough to do this, isn't he? Somewhat, I I have said enough now, come here. Yeah. Let's just uh the other thing that happens right The other thing, and I do want to big up Sam just a little bit, the other thing that happens, once you start running with God's vision, and you're like a a two-talent person, what happens is, you know, like two-talent Andy Hawthorne, 1-0 level in woodwork, not very impressive, right? But you get God's heart, and he starts to multiply, you know, your two becomes four, and then your four becomes 16, because you're just sowing into good ground. And what you find is you find guys who are ten-talent persons are attracted to you. Even though you're a two-talent joker, really. Even though you're really equipped you've got no expertise. God starts drawing people like Jamie Hill and Sam Ward and this amazing team at The Message and you guys all over the country, just amazing. It's not about, I'm not saying it's about me. I'm just saying it's the God's glory, isn't it? When we get his vision, he provides the people, he provides the resource to, to run with it and do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. How good is God? Let's pray for Sam, Lord. Thank you for Sam. As he leads the charge in this movement, thank you that this is far more than theory to him. He's living this day in, day out. This is his heartbeat. And thank you that he's, yeah, he has proved himself faithful. And we're just believing that so much more is to come in him and through him. And we pray, just as we bring this thing to at the end now, as we, as we come in and land, I pray it can be a real climax, Lord. Everything you want it to be, everything you want to happen in these next moments, just speak to us through Sam. Thank you so much for him and Nicky. Bless them,
1: Lord. Amen. Thanks, Andy. That's what, what a humble thing to say. That's really kind. Thank you. Uh, I don't want to cram you with anything else. We're coming to the end of probably quite an intensive couple of days, but I thought I'd share with you one story and then uh, maybe a bit of a point <laughs> to that story, or else it's just a story. Hey. Uh, last Sunday was one of my neighbour's 50th birthdays. Uh, well, it was his only 50th birthday, to be fair, uh, the only one he'll ever have. He's 50, I know he's 50 because his missus texted me and said, please don't forget his birthday. If you forget his birthday, you'll break his heart. Now I know for for sure that, Uh, I've learnt my lessons that I should never, ever pass up these opportunities to celebrate people's birthdays. I've made the mistake in the past where I've missed the mark and and not celebrated when I should have celebrated and forgotten a vital moment in someone's life. So I thought with him being 50, I would make a a bit of a fuss of him. So I went out after church and I I bought him some new clothes and uh, I bought him his favourite beer. I know that's a problem for some of you guys, and uh, sorry about that. And also, like I got him a card, and I wrote the card, and I took it round to his house. I walked into his front room, and he, and he didn't even stand up. He sat on the couch, and uh, so I just handed the presents over. Didn't make a fuss of it. I just said, oh, got you these. And he sort of took them, and he just put them on the couch next to him. And he didn't even look at them. Didn't say thank you. And I sort of sat down and thought, well, we'll have some birthday fun. Maybe, you know, I could sing to him and maybe we could play, you know, don't know musical chairs, just me and him, uh, like you do. And, uh, you know, time passed and I was thinking, you know, he's not even going to look in the bags. He's not going to open the card. Like, what's going on with this guy? How frustrating. And, uh, you know, an hour went and I thought, you know, I've got people coming around for tea tonight. I'm going to have to just leave him. So I made my... Excuses and and left and thought maybe I'll pop in later. Maybe he's one of these people who struggles to open gifts and so needs a bit of private time just to engage with it and you know doesn't really know how to say thank you. So I left him to it, put the you know had t- tea and all that lot and put the kids to bed and and then popped back round. I walked into his front room and there's no sign of the presence. nowhere to be seen. He doesn't mention them and. Even more frustrating is that the beer that I bought him, one of his mates is drinking. I'm like, what is going on? And inside I'm thinking, do I need to like fish for some thank yous here? So I think of some creative ways, and I'm like saying things like, uh, you know, did I get the right size on the clothes? Hoping that might he might, you know, be triggered into saying thank you. Yeah, oh, yeah, they fit, they're lovely, I really like them, thanks very much, but... No, nothing. Nothing happens. And so I leave it about another hour and then get to my feet and uh, begin to make my excuses. And then he comes over to me and just throws himself on me, hugs me, and holds me, and squeezes me, and kisses me, and then releases me, and says, Did you write that song? Did you write that song? And inside my head I'm thinking, Are you mental? But it comes out as, I don't understand what you mean. And he says, The card, Sam, the card. Did you write the lyrics in the card? And inside I'm thinking, Are you mental? But it comes out as, Yes, I wrote the lyrics. See, what I'd done was, on my way round... I'd sat and thought about my mate and all the things that I was grateful for. And I just wrote them down. They were heartfelt. They were from the inside of me, the mushy bit that sometimes pops out. And I wrote some thoughts down. And I, I wrote how grateful I was for him. And I wrote how I, th- I was thankful about all that he contributed to my life and to my family's life. And I, I wrote that, that he sort of made my life a bit brighter. And I, and I wrote that I loved him. And I wrote that I thanked God for him and all that he brought to me. I didn't just write happy birthday and then a kiss at the bottom. I, I put some thought into it, and, but as I'd folded it over, I thought that a present would be the most significant thing because that had cost me money. And I knew that he needed it. And I knew that nobody else would buy him anything. Like when I went into his house, there were no signs of birthday anywhere. There was no other cards there. There was no presents. There were no balloons. I know that's an important thing. But none of that was there. And so I thought the present would be the thing. That it would really smash him to bits. But there was nothing rhyming in the card. There was nothing poetic about it. It was from the heart. But as he released me, he said, this is my most favorite present. This is my favorite present of all time. Like I'm thinking, you've had a really turd life. If a card from me with six lines in it of thankfulness is your most treasured present. He didn't mention the clothes, and he didn't mention the beer But as I left, I began to think a little bit about what had happened. See, sometimes the things that we intend to bless people with are actually not the things that bless. Sometimes we have an understanding of what we think will change and transform, but yet they are not the things. Sometimes we think things are far more important than they actually are, that will have greater significance, but they're things that will fade and they will die. We make judgments all the time about what will bless. We decide what's best for our folks. We decide what things will fix them and will make things better. We think about the things that will help. You know what I love about Jesus? What's so freaking awesome about Jesus is that He knows what's best. We've got a Savior who knows and understands and He knows what's best. He totally understands us. But I have to admit, sometimes I'm not sure he does. Like sometimes I doubt that we have a Savior who really understands and that I feel like maybe if he really knew the people that I worked with, he'd come up with a different answer. So even when I read the Scriptures, I struggle sometimes with what I hear. Check out Luke chapter 4, the manifesto of Jesus. What does he? What does it say? It says he returns to his hometown in the power of the Spirit. It says on the Sabbath day he goes to the synagogue as was normal, as was the custom. And I love this story where they say to Jesus, you know, do you want to come and share a few things? And so he gets to the front and he's given a scroll to read from. And I love this, the Word. The, the Word made flesh. Jesus Christ himself, the one who offered Scripture, is given Scripture to read. And you know he can read it with his eyes closed because he wrote it. But still they give him the scroll and I reckon he pulled it up so he could close his eyes so no one knew. But he honors them and 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 he reads from what we now know is Isaiah 61. And he says these amazing words which we absolutely love. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Amazing, right? So why is it that I've got a few issues with what I read? See, this is what I see. The Spirit anoints Jesus in order that captives get released, blind receive sight, oppressed get set free, but the the poor, what do they get? They get some good news. It feels like the poor get a slightly rough deal on first impressions. The poor get good news to preach at them. And I've heard some preachers and they ain't so good. Captives need to be released and they get it. The blind need sight and they get it. The oppressed need freedom and they get it. But surely the poor need prosperity. Surely the poor need an end to poverty but what they're offered is good news. And it's not a case of, here's some good news, your bank account is now full. Or, here's some good news, that car you need, is waiting outside. Here's the keys to your lovely new house in the countryside. But Jesus knows best. Jesus knows what we need. Jesus knows better than we do. And Jesus knows what the good news is. And it's the greatest gift. It's first in the list on Isaiah 61. It's first. It's the most important. It's the most precious. And I believe it's this, and it's found in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, and the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. The kingdom, they get the kingdom. The poor get the kingdom. The poor inherit the very kingdom owned by God. It's theirs. The creator God's kingdom is the inheritance of the penniless. The kingdom abounding in goodness awaits for those who have nothing. A kingdom that is upside down. A kingdom where the first will be last. And the last will be first. A kingdom where you're not defined by wealth. A kingdom where the greatest are the humble. A kingdom where sacrifice is glorified. A kingdom without pain and without hardship. A kingdom where no one goes hungry. A kingdom where the table is always full. A kingdom where a room has been prepared by Jesus. A kingdom that cannot be earned. A kingdom that cannot be bought. A kingdom where everyone's on benefits. A kingdom where there are no austerity measures and no one gets benefit sanctions. A kingdom... A kingdom of our God where everyone is a refugee, where the refugees are the redeemed. A kingdom where the persecuted are precious, where the abandoned are embraced, where the abused are cherished. A kingdom where the voiceless sing. A kingdom where the weak are protected, where family life is unshakable. A kingdom where you'll never have to move home ever again. A kingdom of peace and of joy and of righteousness. A kingdom of love. A kingdom where the faithful are favored. A kingdom where nothing is wasted. A kingdom where orphans are made royalty. A kingdom that cannot fall. A kingdom that cannot be taken away. A kingdom that cannot be defeated. A kingdom where the past is forgiven. Where government can be trusted. A kingdom where the king is just and fair. A kingdom, this kingdom, belongs to the poor. Because Christ has made a way. Because the sinless saviour died. They get that. The penniless get the kingdom. Is that not good news? Is that not the greatest of news? It's not a sandwich to the starving. It's not a patch on poverty. It's eternally good news. The birthday gifts I purchased for my friend were momentary. The beer was gone and he knew it. He knew what I'd given him would be over very soon, so he gave it away. He probably was grateful for it, but he knew it would be gone in however mouthfuls it would have been. And he knew the clothes would soon lose their newness and would fit back in his cupboard with any other clothes that he had. But the card pointed to something greater, something longer lasting. The card contained something that could not be taken away. The card was good news that day. The card sung a song of love. The card sung a song of thanksgiving. The card sung a song of hope. The card sung a song of the kingdom. And he heard a song. I didn't write a song. If you read it, you would not be impressed. But he heard a song. Did you write the song, Sam? Are you mad? Did you write the lyrics, Sam? Because they're the lyrics of the kingdom. But the card... The card sung the faintest of songs. The card was not amazing. The card is not enough. We are not a card-writing movement. Cards are good, but they're not what we're about. Write cards, yeah, let's do that. That'll do. Let's call it a day. We're about more than that. But it showed my buddy when I when I knew he read it, and I sensed that there was something significant that he saw in there I knew my body was hungering after the kingdom. He was starved of the kingdom. He was kingdom starved. And I gave him a bit of a taste of it. What he did was almost lick the card. The card was tasty. The card tasted of the kingdom. The clothes and the beer were nice, but he needed something greater. Something a bank account could not afford. I hadn't realized the card was flavored with the kingdom. It pointed to something everlasting. It's the everlasting stuff that I want to work towards. Working towards prosperity, I've found, is really exhausting. And it's really unsustainable. My body needs to taste more of the kingdom. He needs to see more of the kingdom. He needs to touch more of the kingdom and know more of the kingdom. If we have a kingdom that is now and not yet, that is future, but also in some senses present, then he's got to be able to grasp it and grasp it tightly. He needs to sense and experience more of the kingdom. And I want want him to hear the song of the kingdom more often than once a year if the only time he's going to hear it is on his second 50th birthday, when I write him another card with heartfelt sentiments, if he has to wait another year for the kingdom to be heard, then i failed him somehow. He needs to know the song of the kingdom every day, every hour, every moment. Therefore, I need to learn to sing it. We need to learn to sing the song of the kingdom. Songs that proclaim, songs that announce, songs that profess, songs that declare the kingdom of God in its entirety, in its beauty, in its excellence. And allow God to place the song of the kingdom on our lips. I don't want to be far from the kingdom of God. I want to know the kingdom of God so that every time I breathe, I breathe out some of its glory, some of its amazement, some of its excellence. I need to know the song of the kingdom. We need to know the song of the kingdom. So as I invite the worship band back, let's focus again on the song of the kingdom. What the values are. What the excellence is. Because maybe you feel like you've lost what the song is all about. Maybe you've forgotten the lyrics. Maybe you've forgotten how the verses go. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you feel like you've lost your voice because you've spoken so very much. Maybe God wants to put the song of the kingdom back in your lips, back in your mouth. Would you stand with me? Because this is where I ask you to go for it. This is where I ask you to respond. Because the song of the kingdom needs to be sung by the people of God who know and love and value the kingdom. Know it's the blessing for the poor. Know it's the inheritance of the penniless. People who can't help but share it. And I hope over the last two days you've been just exposed again to the glory of the kingdom of God and inspired by what you've heard. And now I pray that you would act. If you've lost it and you want to hear it again in your own heart, then let's respond and come forward. And maybe as you've heard stories shared by our speakers across these two days, and you know it's time for you to sing to a neighborhood that's never heard such a beautiful song, then maybe it's time for you too to come forward, to step up and say, I'll go. I'll go singing. So as these guys begin to play, Will you come forward? If you've lost the song and you want to know it again, we will pray for you. If you want to go singing, we'll call you as well. So let's seek God.
0: Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk.